0: The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Jesus said, I say to you that listen, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. to receive. What credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies, do good, and lend expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive as you will be forgiven. Give as it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you give will be the measure you get back. The Gospel of the Lord.
1: Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. (laughs) I am the mother of a two-and-a-half-year-old and a a recently turned six-year-old girl. And a few weeks ago, I was sitting in my living room, and my six-year-old Naomi came running into the room from the direction of my bathroom, crying and shouting, Get it off! Get it off! Fix it! Fix it! And I didn't know what she was talking about until she came into the room and I saw that she had gotten into my makeup and she'd taken some teal green eyeshadow and a mirror and she'd put it all over her eyebrows. Which, if you are a woman who wears eyeshadow, you know that that's not the right place to put eyeshadow. But luckily, I also have a two-and-a-half-year-old, and and so we have a lot of baby wipes, and I got a baby wipe, and I rubbed off all the eye shadow, and I said, there you go, I fixed it. And it just made me think that as the mom of a six-year-old girl, how easy things usually are to fix. You know, she's, she's cold, I get her a blanket, she's sick, we buy some medicine, she draws all over my white dining room table, I look on Google and figure out how to get it all. Her friend hurts her feelings at school. We have a talk the next day. They go back, they make up. It's all better. And yet my friends who have older children frequently remind me that as kids get older, especially as they enter into college age and young adulthood, their problems get a whole lot harder to fix. And sometimes you just can't. For example, The news has been blown up this week about the story of an Alabama girl named Hoda Muthana. She's from Hoover. Her family belongs to one of the Islamic centers in town and is well known and respected. And about four or five years ago, Hoda was using social media in not such a good way. And she was on the Facebook and the Instagram and all these websites of extremist Muslims, and they somehow were able to radicalize her, even from her home here in Birmingham, Alabama, to the point where, at 19 or 20 years old, Poda told her parents that she was going to get on an airplane and fly to Turkey to visit friends and relatives, but she didn't. Instead, she got on an airplane to Syria and went and joined the um, ISIS Islamic State as one of their sort of like war brides. And she started posting all kinds of terrible, horrible, anti-American things on her own Facebook and social media sites. And now, of course, four or five years later, here she is, an 18-month-old child. She's living in a Syrian refugee camp. She's been married Three times because her husbands keep dying and in violent incidents, and guess what? she wants to come home and it 's been all over the news because now Hoda 's citizenship is in question, and the mayor of Hoover and President Trump and Mike Pompeo have been making statements about the situation and on the radio we 've heard from her family and her lawyer, all of whom are Probably, my guess is, pulling their hair out, saying, our daughter has gotten herself into a situation that we cannot fix. And as a mother, my heart breaks for that family and for those parents who realize that their daughter has done something so awful, they can't fix it. So I was thinking about Naomi and about Hoda and her family this week as I was getting ready to preach here at St. Stephen's and started to read the lectionary texts and realized that we've got Jesus preaching from the Gospel of the Mount all this about love your enemies. And it's paired with the end of the story of Joseph from the book of Genesis. And if you remember the story of Joseph, it goes this way. Joseph comes from... a a messed up family, you might say. His father Jacob was one of the twins, right, of Jacob and Esau and of the two parents who play favorites and take sides and it, um, it doesn't go so well. And then Jacob, when he grows up and he gets married, he has not one, not two, but four wives, all of whom bear him children. He ends up with a family of 12 boys and one girl which is just a recipe for disaster. And those 12 boys journey throughout the land of Canaan, having adventures and misadventures, until finally they have the misadventure that not even Jacob can fix. And it highlights the story of Joseph, who is the second to youngest son. And the thing about Joseph and his younger brother, Benjamin, is they are the children of Rachel, who is Jacob's favorite wife. And there was no such thing as um, premarital counseling or marriage books or child care books back in the time of Genesis. And so playing favorites was just, just what they did. Not healthy, right? But what they did. And Joseph is Jacob's favorite and he symbolizes that favoritism by giving Jacob, Jacob that, uh, giving Joseph that, that coat of many colors, right, that you, that you hear about, which is just a far better garment than any of his brothers have ever been given. And Joseph lives into that favoritism um, by having these dreams. And he'll come to the, the breakfast table in the morning and he'll say to his brothers, guess what? You know, I had this dream last night. I dreamed that I was the king, that I was God, and you were all bowing down to me. Kind of things that he should have kept to himself and written in his diary. But he didn't. He went and told his brothers, I saw you bowing down to me in this dream. And so the brothers get really angry, and at some point they decide that they have had enough, and they decide that they're going to kill Joseph. And luckily, the two oldest brothers say, "No, no, no, we're going to get in really big trouble if we do that. Instead of killing him, let's throw him into this pit." And so they throw him into a pit, and they take that coat of many colors and they dip it in the blood of a recently slaughtered goat or lamb, and they bring it back to their father, Jacob, and they say, "Oh look, look, father, um, Joseph must have been eaten by a mountain lion or a bobcat or something out in the wilderness. Here's his coat. We found that he has died. But of course he hadn't died. And later the brothers go back to this pit where they had thrown him and they take him out and they see a band of of traveling merchants who are going down into Egypt and they sell Joseph to this band of merchants never, they think, to see him again. And then the rest of the book follows the story of Joseph as he goes down into Egypt and the merchants sell him to um, an official uh, perhaps in, in Pharaoh's cabinet named Potiphar, whom he is enslaved to for some time. He is then accused falsely of sexually assaulting Potiphar's wife. It's amazing how these issues um, are still prevalent in in 2019, and he is thrown in jail. So he spends a year or so, perhaps, in, in this dungeon, and God is still with Joseph and gives him an interesting skill set. Remember how Joseph had had all those dreams that he should have written about in his diary and kept to himself? Well, God, kind of in this funny turn of events, you can just see him laughing about this, gives Joseph the gift of being able to interpret dreams. And so he interprets the dreams of a couple of prisoners, and he has a lot of luck with that, and it turns out his interpretations are correct. And so he is then ushered into the palace of Pharaoh himself because Pharaoh has been having a series of crazy dreams that he once interpreted. And Joseph hears the dream and he says, this is the meaning of your dream. We're going to have seven years of plenty, where there are plenty of vegetables and fruits and grains and and livestock living in, in the land. And those seven years of plenty are going to be followed by seven years of famine." where nothing will grow, where the livestock will die, where people are going to be starving and coming into Egypt wanting to buy grain. And so in these seven years of plenty that are coming up, we need to store up as much as we possibly can so that when the seven years of famine come, we're ready. And Pharaoh is so impressed by that dream interpretation that he basically makes Joseph his secretary of agriculture and puts him in charge of, of... raking in the abundance of the first seven years and then when the seven years of famine come, distributing it to the people and selling it to people who are coming to Egypt from far away to buy that grain. So all in all from um, being in the pit and being betrayed so tragically by his brothers, a situation that their father Jacob cannot fix, that he thinks is just the end, to the moment that we just read about in Genesis, it's about 10 years, right? 10 years of ruminating about what they have done to their youngest brothers, 10 years of guilt, 10 years of baggage and regret and remorse and anger on the part of Joseph <coughs> towards his family. So the seven years of famine, strike and Joseph's 11 brothers are trying to take care of their father who now is aging and they come down from Canaan and Judea down into the land of Egypt to buy grain and they come to the palace of Pharaoh or wherever the grain is being distributed and they see Joseph 10 years later, right? So they don't recognize him. He's in this Egyptian dress and he's part of Pharaoh's cabinet. But Joseph recognizes them and his first instinct is towards resentment right resentment and anger and he kind of plays these mind games with his brothers for a while um, taking a couple of them hostage and releasing the rest and and convincing the other other 10 that they've got to come back and and reclaim the 11th brother who joseph has been holding in prison and then finally joseph's heart reaches this point of sort of breaking over the situation and he goes back in a private room and weeps about it as we read and weeps about all that wrong that has been done to him and the ten years of anguish that he has felt and weeps over his father who he is not sure is still alive and over his younger brother Benjamin and he comes out and in the story that we just read is reconciled to his brothers and says, actually, I'm not some Egyptian that you've never met. I am your brother, Joseph. And just in case you're feeling really bad about that right now, as you should, you know, and that's what he's thinking, I just want you to know that this terrible thing that you did, this thing that we thought was irredeemable, this thing that our father and mothers couldn't fix, this situation, the worst thing you've ever done, God has taken and used to protect life. He said, if you hadn't done that, and if God hadn't taken control of this this situation and this terrible thing that has happened to us and our family, thousands, tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people would have starved and died. But as it is, God has taken what you meant for evil and used it for good. And so as I think about the story of Joseph and the two previous stories I told you, right, the story of Naomi, who is now six years old, but who is going to go on to do some things, I'm sure, as a teenager and a young adult that I cannot fix. And the story that we're hearing about in the news of Hoda and her family and her young son in a Syrian refugee camp, a story that is just a mess that perhaps will never be fixed to its completion, to everyone's satisfaction. I'm reminded that we are a people of reconciliation. And we are a people, right, of resurrection and of redemption and of a God who can take any of that family mess and that family tragedy, and perhaps not restore it to the way that it was, but use it for good. And that after we hear these stories and the story of Joseph and his words, that we can take all those baggages and those pieces of past resentments and not be afraid perhaps to let them go. And to be at peace with God and to be at peace with one another, knowing that there's a whole lot that we can't fix. And yet there's all the room and the time and the world for God to take those things and to redeem them. And so I'm just going to offer up to you one little place in the next actually ten minutes where maybe you can think about this. In the Episcopal Church, we have this moment in the middle of the service that um, some of our Southern Baptist and Evangelical friends who are visiting us might think of as an intermission. (laughs) But it's not an intermission, right? It's called the peace. And we do it in the middle of the service because Jesus tells us, he tells us in this gospel that we just read, that we are to love and forgive our enemies and those who have done us wrong. And then he tells his disciples later in the gospel that if any of you have something against your brother or your sister or some past resentment, be at peace with them first and then come offer up your gift at the altar. And so as Episcopalians, we live that out in our liturgy by having a peace and a time of peace in the middle of our service before we go up and receive communion. So I offer this to you as you go out and think about the story of Joseph and the sermon in your week, in your week with your, perhaps your children or your co-workers or your boss or the multitude of neighbors and family members who have, may have done you some wrong, perhaps in some cases some irreparable wrong, and offer you this moment of peace as a time to pray about that and think about that and perhaps even in the words of Joseph come to this conclusion that while we often intend so much revenge and evil or perhaps just misfortune against our enemies, that all of that in his own backgrounds that his brothers did to him, all that that he did to his brothers, lording it over them in that way, yes, we meant it for wrong. We meant it for evil. And yet look at this God who has turned it around to preserve life for generations, who has taken what we meant for evil and used it for good. And take heart in that promise that God sustains us through even three or 4,000 years later, this message of peace, of love, of reconciliation, And ultimately, no longer how long it takes redemption. Amen.
2: Let's stand and affirm our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed. We believe in one holy, catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Prayers of the people are found printed in your bulletin.
3: Let's pray for the church and for the world. Grant, almighty God, that all who confess your name may be united in your truth, live together in your love, and reveal your glory in the world. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our guide the people of this land and of all the nations in the way of justice and peace, that we may honor one another and serve the common good. Lord, in your mercy. Give us all reverence for the earth as your own creation, that we may use its resources rightly in the services of others and to your honor and glory. Lord, in your mercy. Our Bless all whose lives are closely linked with ours, and grant that we may serve Christ in them and love one another as he loves us. Lord, in your mercy. Comfort and heal all those who suffer in body, mind, or spirit. Give them courage and hope in their troubles and bring them the joy of your salvation. We pray especially for Deanne, Bunny, Nancy, Sabrina, and Susan. Lord, in your mercy, mercy. we commend to your mercy all who have died that your will for them may be fulfilled. And we pray that we may share with all your saints in your eternal kingdom. Lord, in your mercy. eternal God, ruler prayer. of things
2: <coughs> and earth, mercifully Prayers of your people and strengthen us to do your will through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Let us confess our sins against God and our neighbor. have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways
4: to the glory of your name.
2: Amen. Almighty God, have mercy on you, forgive you all of your sins through our Lord Jesus Christ, strengthen you in all goodness, and by the power of the Holy Spirit keep you in eternal life. Amen. Amen. Please stand. Brothers and sisters, may the peace of the Lord be always with you.
0: Good morning. It's great to be with y'all on this beautiful Sunday morning. Praise be to God that it has finally stopped raining after what it feels like 40 days and 40 nights. Um, what a beautiful day! Uh, a lot going on in the life of St. Stephen's right now. We're great. Uh, we're grateful for Katie Ringers for being with us to preach and bring the good word this morning. Um, in the parish hall, we have Sybil Macbeth is with us. Sybil is the author of Praying in Color that she wrote about 12 years ago that has um, used all over the world to help people think about new ways and creative ways of praying and doodling um, and thinking about people. We also um, looked at her book around Advent and Epiphany um, when we were unpacking um, Advent and making the paper whites and all that good stuff. And she's going to lead us through a pre lent retreat in Praying in Color in the parish hall. Um, So hope that you'll join us this morning and have a uh, kind of a fun way of living in to the season that we're getting ready for. Um, There are just a number of of things going on. So just encourage you to continue to read the E! News and the Bulletin. Um, This coming Wednesday, the Reverend Mary B. Sullivan from St. Luke's will be with us to kick off our Lenten kind of speaker series during uh, Wednesday Night Live. Um, Each week we'll have a different person doing a reflection and Mary B. is going to kind of set the table with her book uh, Living the Way of Love that we'll use for for Lent. Um, The following Tuesday is Fat Tuesday and we're going to have a brass band, um, lots of activities parade uh, with kids scooters and wagons and glow sticks and lights um, fried chicken and waffles, pancakes, bacon and sausage. If you want to help, Elliot Colback would love your support. So um, make plans to come on Fat Tuesday and then Ash Wednesday we'll have services at 7, 12, 15 and 6.30. Um, lots going on, stay attuned and find a way to plug in. If you're new and visiting want to get connected, we have visitor cards that you can fill out and place in the offering when it goes by. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself as an offering and sacrifice to God.